We've been talking about the last few weeks about people going on holiday. The thing is, I haven't seen anyone's photos yet. And I'd really like to, because photos are an integral part of remembering how you've uh, enjoyed yourself, isn't it? But before we go on holiday, we've been reminding ourselves that as we prepare to go, we can't take everything that we want to take. We have to think about it. We have to take the essentials, really, because of the size of our cases and uh, cars and things. Our weight allowance doesn't allow us to have as much as we want to take. It's the same in life, isn't it? I'd love to have 30 or 40 hours every day to just pack everything in, all the interests that I've got, all the things I want to do with Jill and with other people, all the things I want to do at church, all the books I want to read. I could easily fill 40 hours in a day. Could you do the same? I'd be a bit tired afterwards because probably I'd need 20 hours to sleep at the end of that, wouldn't you? So maybe we need 60 hours in a day to do everything that we want. But the thing is, God is brilliant and he's created us and the world to have 24 hours. It's just the right amount for us. It just doesn't seem it. So what we have to do is prioritise what we're doing every day to say, yes, Lord, I want to put you first. And what we've been doing over the last few weeks, it's been thinking about these different core values that we can have in our lives to say, yes, I'm going to put God first. I'm going to repent daily and forgive others as often as they need forgiving. I'm going to meet together with all my brothers and sisters, with you lot, as often as I can. Not just on a Sunday, but during a week or ring you up or text you, things like that. We're going to pray we're going to read the Bible. We're going to be generous with our time and our gifts and our finance and the things that we've got. And last week, we were thinking about speaking about Jesus in inverted commas, because it's not just vocally speaking, but just the way we live our lives. We can speak about Jesus. We want to see our streets change, don't we? As we walk around the town, the town centre even, we think, this isn't as good as it should be. But we know that people can put new investment into the town, but it's the spiritual aspect of the town that will improve so many other things, isn't it? Not just investment by one shop. Lives will still be the same. People will still be grumbling and lying and cheating, even if a million pounds goes into the town centre. But as God changes people's lives, then the town will be changed as well. Today, then, we're thinking about worship everywhere. And possibly you might sort of think to yourself, well, sometimes I go to a church and someone at the very beginning says, Frank's going to lead us in a time of worship. And you think, well, what Frank, what is Frank going to do? And what does Frank want me to do? And hopefully over the next sort of 30 minutes or so, we'll get an idea, not of what worship is as we think it, but maybe what worship could be and is in our lives. I wonder, if we look at a picture like that, do we say to ourselves, that's what worship is? I love you, Lord. What do you think? That is definitely worship, isn't it? It's singing and, do you know, I've, I, you know I work here as, for the church, but I also teach the piano. So music is just like all through the day for me. I wake up with a song in my head. Jill doesn't know, because 
I've got self-control, so she doesn't know about that. <laughs> but in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, it's sort of six o'clock in the morning. I'm not going to, I was going to demonstrate what Jill looked like, but I'm not going to show it. <laughs> but I'm just sort of saying, yeah, great. Thank you, Lord. And just praising him. And that's what I'm like in the morning. But I keep it deep with him because it doesn't help Jill. She'd find that a little offensive first thing in the morning. But is this what worship is all about? Is it just worshipping uh, with songs and everything? It's a big no. Worship is not just singing songs. I was trying to work out this week how many times I might have led worship over the last sort of three decades. And I thought it was about 800 times I might have led worship, whatever worship is. I think, roundabout. There's just been two occasions when we haven't sung at all. And there's been no music whatsoever. Because generally, for our corporate worship, we sing. And do a bit of something else, like read the Bible, pray, give her testimonies and that sort of thing. But maybe it might be more than that. Let's go on a journey together. Let's think about it. Selwyn Hughes said this, Worship is not something we keep for special occasions or do at certain times and periods. We worship both day and night. And I know none of us are as old as uh, to know this, really. We weren't alive in the Middle Ages. But years and years and centuries ago, people didn't say worship. They said worth-ship. And so what some people say is worth-ship, because things evolve, words do, don't they, is us giving our God his worth. It's saying, God, you're worthy. So as we worship him... We're saying, Lord, you're worthy of all my praise, all my joy, all my uh, energy that I've got. So I'm going to give my worship to you because you are worthy. That gets us going. That gets us started on what worship is. But it's only a start because the beautiful thing about reading the Bible is if you just dig a little bit deeper into sort of the Greek and the Hebrew, it just becomes a lot more interesting. The Bible is just so fantastic in English, and it's wonderful that we can read it in English. But dig a bit deeper and see what happens. I've got four words for you. Here they are. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at these four words, and we're just going to think, well, what's John on about now? We're just going to think about it and just get used to what these other words are to help us discover more what worship is. So the first word then, proskunio. Matthew 2, 2 to 8. You might remember the three wise men, or however many there were. They had three gifts, that's for certain, didn't they? So often we think of them as three wise men. But in Matthew 2, verse 2, it says, Where is the one, this is the wise men talking, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Interestingly, a few verses later, in the same conversation, Herod said the same word. Verse 8, he said, He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and seek, uh, search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so I too may go and worship him. Now, this is a brilliant word, because uh, it's probably the most common word for worship in the Bible, in the New Testament. And it literally means to kiss, to kiss towards. It's just like a dog licking his master's hand. So as we're worshipping, 
We're saying, God, I'm submitting to you. You're my master. But it's got more than that because in ancient times, when people worshipped, they'd get on their knees and then prostrate themselves before the king or whoever they're giving homage to so that their forehead was on the ground. So if their forehead's on the ground, they're almost literally or are literally kissing the ground. So worshipping is kissing the ground to God, is kissing towards God because he is worthy and we're not. We're saying, Lord, you are above, you are brilliant, you are marvellous and I worship you. And so that is kissing the ground, falling flat on our feet, uh, flat, flat on our face because we're knowing that God is worthy of everything and he loves us and wants us. How about the second word? Megaluno. Now, the reason I put this word is because I like the sound of it. Megaluno. It sounds brilliant, doesn't it? This is to make great, large or long, or to magnify. And it's to declare great or extol highly. Now, some of you know, over the last few months, I've been using a certain apparatus to help me see small print. A magnifying glass. I'm going to get some very focals soon, but that's another story. So this magnifying glass helps me to see things in a bigger way. And I was thinking this morning, I wrote it down, I was thinking when we magnify God, that doesn't make him bigger because God is as big as it gets. But what it does, it helps us to see how big God is. So when we're magnifying God, we can't make God bigger, but it helps us to understand, Lord, you're magnificent, you're brilliant, we submit to you because you are just so big. We extol you highly. How about the third one? Sebomai. And this is the idea of deep reverence. Years and years ago, people would shrink away from the queen or the king or whoever it might be in authority. And this is the idea behind this word. And, of course, we could have seen Luke 146. That is, I'm, this is, uh, it was Mary, when she'd sort of just gone to uh, see Elizabeth. My soul magnifies the Lord, the Magnificat. And so it's, I, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's that word, megaluno. But coming back to the sebomai, so we're shrinking away from God because he is brilliant. He is awesome. He is greater than us. So we are finding our place, shrinking back and showing reverence to him. And we saw that in Acts 16, verse 14. One of those listening, and this is sort of uh, Paul and Silas in uh, Philippi, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So Sebomai, she was shrinking away from God. She gave God the reverence because she knew God deserved that. The last word, uh, latria. And latria is uh, for the Jews. It was a ritualized service where they'd do things in a temple and then they'd say, yes, this is our latria because we're doing this, then this, then this, then this. There was a, a sort of a whole list of things that they do. You'll know this, Romans 12, 1. It's been a living sacrifice. 
And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying it's not a ritualistic thing to worship God, but it's giving all of your life. Paul was saying in Romans 12:1, worship isn't just a specific act you do when you meet together with other believers. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is meeting together, yes, but it's doing things for God and saying, Lord, I revere you. I humble myself to, before you because you are almighty. So if that's the case, I've got a few photos where you can say to me, could this be worship? We're saying, yes, putting our hands up and waving flags and singing with all our heart. That's definitely worship. But is it broader than that? Brilliant. Putting the flowers and doing nice things around the building and in other people's homes. That's worship. We're serving people, aren't we? What about this? Definitely. If we go to the shops and just buy an item from Asda or Aldi or wherever you shop, and just pop it in the box, that's serving other people and loving God because we're saying, Lord, some people are in need. Out of the wealth you've given me, I'm just going to put a bag of rice in or I'm going to do a treacle pudding or something, a can of treacle pudding in there. You know, something that we can do every week to give to others, that's real worship as well. What about this one? That is worship. Sometimes you can just think, oh no, I've got the cleaning to do, whether it's in the church or at home. But it's an act of worship as you're serving other people and doing something special. So when you come in, it's just like clean and tidy. How did it happen during the week? It certainly wasn't the fairies, was it, who did it? It was an act of worship during the week. And we can be really grateful about that, can't we? A true act of worship. What about the next one? Giving a testimony out the front. Praying, like Phyllis did earlier. Or reading a scripture. Or just doing something out the front. Just to encourage others. That can certainly be an act of worship as well, can't it? Not many people see this, but that's where Alan and Paul and Colin sit, sort of doing a few dials, doing the words on the laptop, making sure it's the talks being recorded so anyone in the world can listen to it as well. Is that an act of worship? It's service to God. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Coming early to make sure things are worked out and just being on the ball. So if something does go a bit wrong, and sometimes technology does go a bit wrong, doesn't it? We can know that whoever's in the box can sort it out because they're thinking about it. A real act of worship. What about this? Making the brew. That is definitely an act of worship. This morning, if we had a drink, whoever did it for us, that was an act of worship, wasn't it? And we were thankful and said, oh, we didn't just take it for granted. We said, oh... Thank you very much, and pray for them in ahead, didn't we? And say, oh, thank you, Lord, for what they've done. It's a real blessing to us. Whoever's done the tea and the coffee is a real blessing. It's an act of worship. What about this? Taking the leaflets out. Got one somewhere over there. Is that an act of worship? It's service again. Now, let me tell you something brilliant. Last week, I stood up here and said, we have a thousand of these to deliver 
could someone come to the front uh, afterwards or something like this? I sort of said, come and tell me if you can uh, deliver them. I don't need any volunteers today. Those thousand either have gone out already or have nearly gone out already because some people came and volunteered and said, yes, put me down. I'm going to do that. I jumped for joy because that is brilliant because people are serving us, are worshipping God by going to letterboxes and praying and saying, Lord, will you do something in this person's life as they realise it's time to celebrate? So for them, those people that are doing it, it's an act of worship. And for me, it was a real blessing because then I knew that I didn't have to say, oh, by the way, can someone else volunteer as well, please? What a blessing that was to me. Thank you. If you're thinking, oh, I really wanted to do it and didn't get round to it, we're doing some more in October. So another thousand. So if you're thinking, oh, I missed my chance, you can worship in October in the cold, in the wet, by, <laughs> am I talking it up enough? Well, you can do it by worshipping God and delivering these. And again, it would be a great thing to do. How about one more of these pictures? One of the least known jobs in the churches, on a Thursday or Friday, whoever's leading the worship will get the music out, all of these folders, just in here, and then... The music's out, ready for everyone to, to play and to, to sing and everything. And then after the service, they all get back in the folders because some people are worshipping. The service is finished, but worship is continuing because people are serving us by putting the music away. What a great lot of worship we do between us, don't we? All these things are worship. And if we had another 20 minutes, I could reel off a load more because there's so much worship that goes on in the church and it's not just singing. As we love each other and serve and do good things. And some of the things that Phyllis prayed about, visiting people and, and responding to needs, that is also worship that we can just encourage each other. Definitely worship that we've got. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been thinking about this word, hilaron. You know, it's a Greek word, so it's saying, yes, I'm going to be a cheerful giver, we said originally, but also it means I'm going to be a cheerful worshipper, I think. So we can say that this is the definition, we're always already disposed towards something because we're satisfied. It describes someone who is cheerfully ready to act because they are already approving or persuaded or inclined. They are already won over. It describes spontaneous, spontaneous non-reluctant giving. And God wants us to be spontaneous in our worship. Remember, worship isn't just the singing, but worship is the serving, the attitude of the heart to helping and encouraging others. So, as we look at all these things that we previously mentioned over the last few minutes, we can say, Lord, we want to be ready for you. And we can make all this happen because we... Oh, there it is. We've got this because we've got this word in our hearts. It's not just a word that we look at and smile about, but it's a word that's deep in our hearts because we're this kind of people. We're not just see everyone on a Sunday. Ah, I've pressed it a few times because it, this is technology. There we go. Let's go back. 
Can you make it go back to that one? Alan, you'll be the quickest at it. So do you sometimes at home, if it doesn't record, you press it again and then press it again. I shouldn't have done it. I should have just waited, shouldn't I? So thank you, Alan. So this word, it should be just in our hearts. Our lifestyle is being cheerful and giving and loving because that's the way God has made us. Micah. Ah, I only pressed it once, I'm glad. Micah 6, verse 8. This sums up all of what I've just been saying. But he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbour. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. And so this is what's going to underpin all of our lives. It's what underpins our lifestyle of worship to God and our love to each other. Sometimes God challenges me. Well, often God challenges me. I must be a terrible sinner or something like that. And I definitely am. But as I listen to God, he says this, this and this. Today, God, well, this week, God said this to me. It's often easy to sing Jesus is my Lord and Saviour in corporate worship on a Sunday. And I thought, yes, Lord, that's, that's nice and easy. You're not challenging me yet. But I did hear a but. But it's often much harder to show Jesus and others that he is our Lord and Saviour in our individual, private worship at home, at work, at the shops, or down the road. And that's how God challenged me this week. When I'm driving and someone doesn't smile when I've given way to them. I think of the word Hilaron now. I think, come right through. God bless you. I don't think that yet, but God is working on me. Do you know what it's like? When, when you open a door to someone and say, after you. And they just walk through, looking gormless or whatever they might look, but not grateful. Hilaron. I'm saying, Lord, you are doing something in my life. You are making me more like you because I can't react like that. That's a wrong reaction. I have to lay my life down to encourage and serve others. I wonder, are we really worshipping God on a Sunday morning if our attitudes and our actions aren't changing during the week? Do we just come on a Sunday for a sing-along? A nice sing-along with some good songs and a, a few minutes of a pep talk just to keep us going for a week. Or do we allow God to infiltrate us and do something in our lives as we come into his presence? As we worship him, are we just singing songs or are we saying, Lord, I open my heart to you. Come and change me. There's something in my life this week I know you need to touch, Lord, come and do it. That's what worship is, isn't it? Not just singing songs. Does it change our lives when we meet together on a Sunday? I really look forward to coming. It's great. But does it change my life? When I leave, am I going to be different today in an hour and a bit than when I came about past eight? That's what worship is, isn't it? 
coming into God's presence and saying, I'm opening my heart to you. I'm bowing before you. You are my Lord. William Temple, one of my heroes, he was an Archbishop of Canterbury in the 1940s. He said, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. That's all worship. Saying, God is the centre of our worship, and saying, Lord, I want to follow you, I need you. You saw this photo a few minutes ago when it went forward of the Queen. And once a year, that's the imperial state crown she's wearing. Once a year, she wears that to open Parliament. And she wore it at the end of the coronation as well, because it was the smaller crown rather than the big, heavy St. Edward's crown that uh, you might know about. Sometimes I catch myself wearing a crown. And God just whispers to me, and says, why are you wearing that crown? Am I your Lord? Am I your saviour? And then just, I say to God, sorry, I've taken control of my life again. I've decided that what I think is best. I've decided to put the crown on my head and to sit on the throne. It's not a great sight, is it really? when we sit on the throne, when we pretend to be boss of our own lives. That's not Christianity. That's what thousands of people do in an Eton. That's why they don't acknowledge you or wave when you've let them through or said hello or anything, because they're in control of their lives. God wants us to take the crown's off our heads and put him on his throne and kneel before him and say, God, I submit to you. I worship you. I kneel to you. Be Lord of my life. That's worship. Saying, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated to you. Do we give God the best of our times and the best of our energies? Or do we just save him for five minutes at the beginning or the end of the day? Worship is giving God everything. And saying, Lord, be Lord of my life. Worship everywhere. Between us, we've been to a lot of countries. We can worship anywhere. We can worship everywhere. We've said a few times already about the new houses. And it's brilliant because this is our parish, if you like. This is our area of influence. I was reading a council leaflet this week and it was sort of about some houses on the corner of the A5 and Home Lane. And they sort of looked at all the sort of uh, different facilities in the area. And one of the uh, areas that they put was worship. NCF was listed. So the council see us as the worship. And we were the only one, by the way, 
the only worship facility in the area. The council see that. Wow. What are we doing about it? What an encouragement that God has placed us here. Here we are, look. Right smack in the middle of it. Isn't that brilliant? Other churches, because you know I look on websites from other churches, other churches are talking about the new houses, about evangelising them. But we've got the proximity. God's put us here, not just to let other churches take the strain, but for us to go out and do things and to declare God's kingdom, because this is God's kingdom. And we can declare those things. We are saying we are opening our doors, we are opening our hearts to the people, the thousands of people that are going to live very close to us. We are opening our hearts to them so that as we worship God, so our hearts are changed and they can know God as well. On the 1st of January last year, I put this picture up on a, uh, a slide. And God is very gentle to me often. And he'll say something and I'll think, oh, that's a bit hard. But then a bit later, he says something a bit, bit more difficult, a bit more of a challenge, a bit more of something to do. And I called this picture an empty chair. This week I was reminded, well, several weeks ago I was reminded, but this week I was thought, yes, I better do something about it. I was reminded we don't have an empty chair. God reminded me that we have over 50 empty chairs. I've reserved them. I reserved one for Alan, so that was great. But I've reserved them for other people as well. The people that aren't in the church at the moment. We're saying, come on. Come here. You're welcome. The doors are open. Our hearts are open. We've got the seats laid out. Come on in. Come and worship with us. Come and know God. Come and be a disciple of Jesus. So these are reserved today, and I put them really close, so those, you'd have to be Tom Thumb to get in there, I think, wouldn't you? But you know what I'm saying? How's the church going to be in maybe a year's time? Perhaps we get ten people from the estates. That's not going to change us too much, is it? Ten new people, we'd need more chairs out, but there's 43 chairs out here and 50 chairs out here. Can you imagine, maybe in five years' time, just imagining our numbers doubling. We wouldn't be able to save a seat. If you don't get here like 20 or 30 minutes early before the service starts, tough is the word, because someone else will have taken it. We're not going to have space because these are all bunched up. The chairs are always put out with plenty of space around them. As we get bigger, so the space we're going to have is going to recede because more chairs are going to come out, more people are going to come in, How's that going to affect us? It's going to really change the structure and the organisation of what we do, isn't it? Because if there's new Christians coming in, we can't just once a week have a meeting and that's it. There's going to be several weeks, uh, several meetings during the week for discipleship and prayer and to gather more people in and evangelism. Are we ready to put our lives out to do something like that for God? Are we ready for our services to change because we're going to need to explain to people what's going on. We can't just expect them to know what's going on. So as things are reserved, so we're saying, Lord, they are reserved now because we want to see 
new people coming in. We want to see people believing in God and their lives being changed. And it won't take many people for us to be transformed. And God wants us not to just to stay as we are, but to be changed into his likeness. And so this could be one of the things that is great, that God will change. We've said before as well that we don't want to just see a baptism once every few years. Lots of churches I know of have baptism services several times a year. As we look outwards and stop reserving the seats and bring the people in. So, as we were saying last week, this area is going to be open up. It's going to be used. It's going to be not just a secret part of the church we rarely, rarely see. But it's going to be a great place where we can celebrate new life. And say, thank you, Lord, for another Christian this week. Thank you, Lord, for taking people from darkness and putting them into light. So, worship everywhere, but can we worship anything everywhere? We know the answer, don't we? No, certainly not. Some people, well, not some people, everybody worships. Everybody. You can sometimes... Uh, like I was listening to uh, a small snippet of a Rotherham United football club versus someone else. And do you know what they were singing? There's only one Barry Chuckle, one Barry Chuckle. There's only one Barry Chuckle. Because he just died, and so he was the life president of Rotherham United. And so they were saying, yeah, Barry Chuckle, great. Some people worship others, like entertainers, sports people, musicians, politicians, inventors and artists, writers, uh, inventors, queens and things. They, they worship these people saying, oh, I must read their biography. Oh, I must do this. Oh, I want to know everything about them. Spending time learning about them. And that's great. But it's not really the object of all our worship. Should we say who the people are, just in case you're not sure? Gary Lineker. Zara Tyndall, uh, John Williams, Clement Attlee, Leonardo, I wasn't going to say DiCaprio, but Da Vinci, <laughs> uh, um, Agatha Christie, uh, Isambard Kingdom Brunel, and Queen Elizabeth I. So all of these different people that people are interested in and want to know more about, and they've done great things for our country and other countries, but we don't worship them. We worship God everywhere. And so none of this is easy. We're saying, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to give my crown to you because we all have a crown. It's either on our heads or on God's head. And that's the challenge of this morning. We're thinking true worship is to be so personally and hopelessly in love with God that the idea of a transfer of affection never even remotely exists. I remember the Israelites when they came out of Egypt Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Grumble, grumble. Where's that golden calf I want to worship now? It's so easy, isn't it? Ask Christians to take our focus off God and put it onto ourselves. Me, me, me. And yet God is saying, come and worship me. Come and worship me everywhere. So, we've been thinking over the last few weeks about all these things, and today we're thinking about worship, not just as singing together or singing on our own, although that's a really important part of worship, but it's serving others, 
having that attitude of homage to God and our lifestyle being like that because we know God deserves it, he's worthy of it. And Paul next week is going to sum all this up very nicely. He's going to conclude it and get us just thinking about what's going on and help us to respond as well. And after that, in October and November, we'll be thinking about the seven churches in Revelation and uh, looking at those and just saying every week, oh yeah, here's a different letter that Jesus wrote to the church. What's he going to say to that church? What's he going to say to us, to us as individuals as well? Spurgeon said this, this is just to conclude. If Christ is not all to you, he is nothing to you. He'll never go into partnership as a part saviour of men. If he be something, he must be everything. And if he be not everything, he is nothing to you. That challenges me very much this week, today. That my lifestyle, pretty good, but do I give 100% to God? Do you give 100% to God? That's the challenge. That's the lifestyle of worship. That's what we're going to be thinking about for the next 35 minutes as we think about it a little bit more and respond and just consider that worship isn't just a singing, although that's probably a lot of what we'll do over the next 35 minutes But it is saying, Lord, you have my heart. I'm going to work for you. Do what you want in my life. Help me to be an offering. Help me to be good to others, a blessing to others. Lord, we do thank you that you are in our hearts. Lord, be Lord of all our life. We give our crown to you that we're wearing, if we are wearing it now. And say, Lord, we worship you. We want you to be seen in us and through us, Lord. We want to encourage and bless others, serve others, Lord, in your name. So, Lord, as we do that, we submit to you. And we open our ears and our hearts to you. So that we can be a big blessing to other people, Lord. Amen.